Flyfield Outfitter is a fly shop and guide service located in Bend, Oregon. We specialize in fly fishing the Lower Deschutes River, Cascade Lakes, the Crooked River, the Fall River, and many other fisheries in the area. Tune into our podcast for updates on fishing reports, techniques, tactics, Alrighty. and fishing stories. Uh, we are sitting up here in Scott Cook's office at the shop. Uh, it is September 17th, and Scott and I returned from the Upper Connectock River in Alaska just about two and a half weeks ago now. Uh, we were actually up there with an outfitter called Dave Duncan and Sons, who we met on the airplane to Christmas Island in March. Uh, Scott was hosting that trip and happened to be sitting next to Clint, who is the one of the brothers of Dave Duncan and Sons and runs the upper camp. And next thing you know, we were being invited to go shoot some photos up there for their website and help develop some content and just experience their program. And we wanted to get together for a little bit and talk about uh, basically our experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It's it's crazy how a coincidence happens like that, you know. Um, Clint and I just sat on the airplane from Honolulu to Christmas Island, and you know, and just chatted for three and a half, four hours. And and uh, you know, we both talked the same language. We've both been in the industry for a long time, and you know, talked about trends and marketing and in communication and in different and guides and all kinds of different stuff. And we really hit it off um, on that on that airplane and so yeah he invited us to come up and check it out and and so it was uh it was a lot of fun great trip and i can't wait to go back um same yeah. here yeah i mean it was uh we what, booked the trip in may and uh definitely were counting down the days you were guiding we're both working hard get till that day and next thing you know it's three fifteen in the morning and you're outside my driveway and we're boarding our first first out of what four flights all the way up to just tiny little village called Quinnahawk in southwest Alaska yeah which is on the opposite side of Bristol Bay so north of it right yeah um and then from there we went what 40 miles or so upstream to a camp in uh jet boats um camp was pretty awesome uh we had a total of uh 10 guests including us um five tents uh, they had six guides. One of their guides had to go home due to an injury. And uh, yeah, I mean, the whole thing was just an insane program from the fishing, from the where we were, uh, the camp, you know, getting hot water all the way up, all the way up there. It was a little bit unbelievable, but yeah, let's just talk about maybe just getting there in general. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, I think the camp was unbelievable. You know, I mean, it always is fascinating to me from a from an industry perspective of what you know people can do in different environments. I mean, Christmas Island is the same to me. You know, because it's an island in the middle of nowhere, and they have nothing. You know, we go there as Americans, and we have certain expectations and whatever. Um, but it's always fascinating to me how people can make this stuff happen for us as anglers so that when we're there we're comfortable and everything else and man this camp I would send just about anybody up there with no hesitation um, the staff and the, and the guides and, and the operation their equipment their you know their tents everything was just just top-notch now again you're camping um, but it's one of the nicest you know camps um, settings that I that I probably have been in they had a big huge dining tent 
and uh, so you know if we did get some weather or whatever we had really nice weather and low there was very little rain and there was very little bugs and those are two major variables I think anywhere you go in Alaska no matter what time of year if you go in May or you go in August you go in September I don't think it matters those are always going to be variables that you got to think about um, and that was one thing I was worried about going to a camp even a base camp was like this was you know whether or not there'd be hangout spots you know places that if it was raining or if the bugs were really bad in the evening you know a spot to go hang out their dining tent was huge i don't know how big was that thing maybe probably 50 feet yeah it was 50 60 feet you could you know um a big comfortable tent had carpet in it had a little fly tying station that you could hang out and tie some flies it was a very social area to hang out it had a a shower with warm water they had another tent that had like a shower uh, had propane um, uh, automatic uh, heater uh, water heater that automatically you know heated the water um, the tents were comfortable had flushing toilets which was crazy full-on porcelain flushing toilets um, so yeah it was crazy you know travel and getting there and stuff I think it's just like anywhere um, I'm typically looking for destinations when I travel of places that I could get there all in one day. I don't care if I got to get up at two o'clock in the morning and I don't get there until midnight. I want to get it all done in one day and that's just me. I mean, you know, you could break it up however you want, but I try and I don't, you know, airports are not fun anymore. I don't think airplanes and air travel necessarily. I think the golden ages of air travel are obviously well behind us and it's just a necessity it's more than it is anything for me so whenever i do travel to these locations i'm typically looking for spots that i can get all the airports all the airplanes all the travel done in one day so that you're not you know overnighting in some spot you have to get in and out of securities and different things like that so travel was what we left I left my house at like 2.45, picked you up at like two, at 3, 3.15, we're Redmond to Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. S Seattle, and then Seattle to Anchorage, Anchorage to Bethel, and then Bethel um, out to a little dirt run, runway air landing strip and just outside of Quinnahawk. And those were little Cessna, you know, four-seater airplanes, which is super fun. And I think a part of Alaska, um, you know, those little fly-out planes. Then a little truck ride, truck drive over to the river. And then, yeah, it was about a, what, two-hour boat ride up to the camp. And that, and we got in camp at, you know, I don't know, what, seven o'clock or something like that, their time. Yeah, it's probably... Yeah, you know, one so hour a, behind us here. It's a full day of travel, no doubt, but the fact that, you know, you, you slept in your own bed the night before, you got all the airports and airplanes out of the way in one day, and that you were there and at camp and having a warm meal that evening and setting up your gear and stuff was pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, great camp, great setup. I love the guides, I love the operation, and, and you know, again, from an industry perspective, I find it... Uh, fascinating you know that that people can pull off that level of professionalism in such a remote environment an extreme environment you know um, but it was very comfortable and, and, and clean and, and everything everything on that end I thought was great food was good uh, very hearty meals you know big plates of you know breakfast and 
and dinner were big plates of very hearty, you know, meals um, and really good. So I really nothing bad to say about the camp. Oh, they had a ping pong table yeah, too. That was cool. Yeah, they just took an eight foot sheet of plywood and painted it and put a <laughs> put it on some. Uh, they put it on some, their toilet boxes. Yeah, they toilet <laughs> their porcelain toilet boxes that they transfer the toilets up there there up there in and and uh, they had a little ping pong net and I won the ping pong tournament nice. for the weekend. But that was that was fun. Um, great camp environment and good people and everything else. Yeah, you know, yeah. so a lot of fun. Each day we at, well we were up at seven a.m. Uh, breakfast was at seven. wasn't a far walk from our tent by any means. So walk up, coffee's ready for you. Breakfast is served to you right at seven o'clock. Like Scott said, it's a nice hearty meal. You got you know eat in twenty minutes or so, and then get dressed for the day and get down to the boats at eight a.m. Uh, each day you're spending with a different guide, so they break their days and or their guide duties into beats. So each guide has their own beat, meaning they have their own section of river that the other guides don't go in at all. Uh, it's pretty cool up up camp, up river at their camp. Uh, there are some camps lower on the river from some other outfitters, including Dave Duncan and Sons has a lower river camp. But at the upper, upper river camp, they're the only outfitter that can guide out of sleds uh, or jet boats. So there are rafters and floaters that come by who just float down the whole 100 mile stretch of the river in yeah. seven days or so. Meanwhile, you're here for six days and you get experience anywhere from about 20 miles upstream river back down to camp and then uh, probably 10 miles below camp um, or so. Well, all the way down to the sign, I think, was about another 20 or 30 miles. I mean, I think they had like 50 miles of kind of refuge where that's uh, the upper connect talk is protected and they have different set of regulations and everything up there. And so, um, yeah, like you say, there was some floaters and we saw a couple other fishermen, but those, those guys that were floating, they didn't fish the way we fished, you know, they were they were in the boat the whole time. You could tell that they had an agenda, you know, they got 100 miles of river to cover and they've got five or six days to do it. They they can't really stop and, and fish the way that we were fishing, you know, um, and I thought the beat thing was really cool too. So basically, I think they had about 50 miles of river, they had five guides you know two to one guide ratio um and each guide had it it's own his own beat of uh, his own stretch of 10 miles of river but when you think about 10 miles of river around here you think you compare it to the deschutes or whatever and that's 10 river miles i mean they have so many that upper river there's so many braids and so many fingers and stuff up there as far as river miles that that 10 miles that they had they probably had like 40 or 50 miles that they could cover totally. because there's like five different mini rivers in a 10 mile stretch of river you know so um they had the upper upper beat that they called the mountain beat then they had the the kind of upper beat from camp which was you know which was good too they had a bunch of fingers and 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 stuff through there and then they had from below camp they had um river left and river right um because tex had river left and red had red. river right yep um and then um rob had the lower lower stretch yeah 
Um, and so it was really cool to see the management and that the guides had this ownership in their stretch of river. And it was almost like you were fishing a private river in a way because they would they would talk about fish or stretches of river or some of these side channels that had not gotten pressure in weeks. And you'd be floating down the river fishing from the boat and they would say, okay, you know, let's leave that fish alone. Let's not cast over here because we did catch fish over there the other day. And I want to, I want, I want that big rainbow over there to rest. And I mean, I can respect that totally. It's like, you know, management um, as fly fishing grows, as more people are more adventurous and everything else, river management is a major part of, you know, what we hope is going on in all of our fisheries, not just catch and release and not just handling fish and keeping them wet and everything else but if you've got a stretch of river that you could actually manage that way that's that's amazing that was one of for me one of the coolest parts about it was that each guide had their own stretch of river and they they were personally managing that stretch of river for the amount of pressure that each fish was getting even in certain areas um so we probably spent about half the time out of the boat like hiking and fishing some of these side channels and you know some of the sloughs for silvers and and uh we did some you know big hikes where you know we were out of the boat and hiking for four or five hours and these little side channels that were smaller than the fall river and crystal clear you're spotting fish and there's salmon spawning all over the place and it was um so yeah i mean fishing wise it was definitely up to my expectations of what I thought we were going to experience if not exceeding my expectations for sure totally yeah it was pretty pretty amazing I mean just even the you know techniques we were using uh, you know they run a 10-week program up there from beginning of or June to end of August basically and we were there for their last week of camp so we had the option of targeting some of those really colored up Arctic char or Dolly Varden and uh, of course chasing those leopard trout with uh, mouse patterns yeah uh, which was awesome you know I never really had that experience I've blown a couple fish up on in Central Oregon or had them blow up on a mouse but man watching this trout just chase your fly not once not twice maybe three times maybe even four times before it actually eats that fly is pretty amazing uh you know the guides kind of talk about uh earlier in the season the mousing's a little bit better which makes sense but man i would say our mousing game was pretty awesome yeah <laughs> uh, yeah they, that was super cool i mean if if anything the mouse was a locator right i mean it would you you'd you know like Kyle would be walking down the side channel first or, or one of these braids and he'd be throwing the mouse up against the undercut bank and you know you kind of hit the grass and then you mend up river and it pulls that mouse out of the grass and then you let that thing swing and as long as it's swinging and waking a little bit it's doing what it's supposed to do and these these rainbows these leopard rainbows would come from you know, 8, 10, 12 feet away to chase that fly and maybe hit that mouse. They might hit it, they might not. They might hit it twice, they might hit it four times. Half the time they would hit it, they'd connect with it, and they'd jump twice, and then they'd spit the hook and they'd go right back to their same lie. And then I'd come behind you with like a sculpin or a flesh fly or something like that, and we'd hook the same fish. I mean, um, that was one of the things with the rainbows and with the dollies that I noticed is you could tell that there was a, 
a lack of pressure because of the way that these fish were feeding, you know, and they were on the feed and, you know, you would, you, you could hook the same fish multiple times. Um, you know, again, you'd, you'd hook them, they'd jump once and take a little run and spit the hook and you'd go right back in there with a different fly and they'd eat it again, you know? So, um, it was a lot of fun. My, one of my bucket list fish was a really colored up, um, you know, dolly. Um, you see these pictures of them and everything else. And I just had never held one, never seen one, you know, like a 25 to 30 inch, you know, colored up fall colors dolly. And they're in a pre-spawn mode. They're not spawning yet, obviously. So you're not worried about pulling them off of spawning beds and things like that. But they're in with the salmon and they're, you know, eating eggs, eating flesh and things like that. But we had opportunities on the char to, or the, the dollies to, to get them um, on mice patterns and on skaters and on dry flies and you know a lot of times it, they were bad at taking the mouse they would come up and hit it at, you know three four times and you put another cast in they'd come up and hit it again you know and they'd miss it miss it miss it never connect with the hook and you'd run back over that same fish again with a with a sculpin or a, or a leech or a or a flesh fly and just boom they'd smack it every time and and uh it was that was a lot of fun yeah that was man watching those dollies just try to eat those drives was hilarious man it was like slow motion almost because <laughs> that fly would be moving across and they'd be trying to eat it where it just was you know uh, i could i could watch that all day long um i think for me one of the most fun was you know the salmon fish and silvers uh we had some pretty fun with Red uh, doing that. Red's one of the guides up there. Um, we got a fish with him one of the last days and we really wanted to chase some silvers on a echo glass rod we had with us and that was super fun just having a good time hooking fish and you know that's you know we're they're all conservation mining like we talked about but there is an opportunity to keep a fish or two throughout the week to eat at camp and uh, it's pretty cool being able to catch fish and harvest it and eat that delicious smoked salmon with cream cheese and onion they had. Yeah. I could eat that whole plate right now. Right here. <laughs> that was so dang good. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a lot of fun for me. I never uh, caught silvers one other time on the Kenai, but had never, you know, really gotten into them like we did, which was fun on, on top water, subsurface. Um, it's really cool, man. That fishery and the program is really built for any angler, you know, like you and I had specific goals of capturing photos and getting the whole experience done. And I mean, if you're just a guy that wants to hang out in the boat for 10 hours and float down the river with your guide and not get out, that option is there. I mean, these guys are hustling too. They're in and out of that boat, holding the boat in water for you so you can hit certain spots. And they're working. I mean, they are hustling. Up at five, in bed by 10 or 11 at night, cooking you dinner, cooking you lunch, cooking you everything. You know, it's uh, it's pretty awesome to see. I got a whole new respect for uh, guides after seeing that, you know. Yeah. It's quite a bit different than the experience here. All guides work hard in their own respects, but that was pretty pretty cool to see how their program was run. Yeah, the, the thing I noticed too about the guides up there is they did not want to stop fishing like they would fish you right to the last minute you know there's a lot of guides where you know it's like you know you're expected to fish from you know eight to six on that river and they want to fish every minute of that time 
you know, you hop in the boat and they're automatically like, okay, what rods we got set up? What are we doing? Okay, great, let's go. And 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 they're not done until the the very last cast, you know. Um, so they were definitely, and I was a little worried about that being the last week of their camp too. That you know, are these guys going to be a little burned out or checked out or whatever? And boy, that was not the case. They were spot on the whole time. So whole time. A lot of fun. Yeah, as far as the salmon, the, so the kings were done because we were there in late August. Yep. And mid-August. We were there August 24th, yeah. late 31st. So. so the kings were done. The chums were pretty well done. There was a couple of really nasty chums we saw in <laughs> the river. Um, the sockeye had not really started their spawn yet, and the silvers were still about a month away from what they were saying from their spawn. So we kind of hit this in-between time of not uh, fishing as much beads and as, ma as many egg patterns and things like that. And that um, there was maybe a little bit less food in the river, it sounded like, um, because the kings had been off of the spawn. Um, and which made the, the the rainbows and the dollies a little bit more likely to come up and look at the mouse and and you know take some leeches and sculpins and things like that. So um, so that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, the, yeah, the silver fishing was super fun. I mean, um, we'd get into some slew water, a back eddy or whatever, where they'd just be stacked in there. And yeah, the Echo eight weight badass glass fiberglass rod um, was super fun um you know we threw that thing with the top water and we'd run you know, kind of a popper through the hole maybe eight or ten casts and you get a couple fish to blow up on it and then we'd switch over and put like a leech or like a, a pink or a purple colored leech on and strip that thing through a couple times and they'd they'd eat that and you'd you know you'd hang out for an hour on a pot of silvers and catch you know six eight ten of them it was like we were taking turns like i'd make a couple casts and you know stick a fish fight it land it and then okay kyle your turn and then we'd say okay to the guide red or whoever like okay your turn and they'd be like no man i'm not fishing and we'd be like no it's your your turn you're up you know there's a bunch of fish right here and and um those fish they fought good they weren't like chrome bright but they weren't colored up either you know they were just kind of that right in between um yeah, and as far as guides, those guys cooking fish in Alaska, you would expect that they know how to cook salmon, and man, they did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anytime we had salmon, it was spot on. It was flaky, and it was just spot on. We had a smoked salmon as an appetizer a couple, a couple of nights. We had uh, kind of a salmon dip that they did a couple of nights, and, um, and then we had one night that we did like salmon fillets that they did, and the food was really spot on and again you know the camp environment food guides i just can't say enough about it it was a great well-run operation and i've i've you know been running a guide service and fly shop for you know 15 years in central oregon been part of this industry for 25 and i've fished around the world and seen all different levels of of the travel experience with the with with a fly rod in your hand and i've been you know i went to a lodge in chile that was just off the charts i mean they, they had a chef that was you know uh top notch um you know went to college in santiago and trained and everything and that 
and I've been to other places like Christmas Island where you're lucky to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch, you know? <laughs> yep. And I've seen every angle of, 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 of the environment of, of, of fly fishing travel. And um, this was a really cool mix of being able to experience wilderness um, uh, along with um, having a very classy um, approach to, to what they were doing with what they had. Um, and that, that, that says a lot. Um, attention to detail in their camp and their food and everything else was spot on. And again, they've got a couple different programs. They do, they do do a float. Yep. So they do the, the connect talk float, uh, which is approximately a hundred miles. They do the upper base camp, which is about, you know, 50 miles river or so. And then they do the lower base camp. Um, and then they've got a steelhead camp, um, out on Kodiak that they do in the fall that I, you know, I've heard is is amazing. Like you can you can talk about 20, 30 fish days, uh, throwing swing swinging, you know, throwing Skating. skaters. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm sure like any steelhead scenario, there's variables. There's a lot of variables there, water conditions and blah blah blah, everything else. But um, you know, I'd I'd have any I'd have confidence sending any client to the you know the duck the Duncan program. Um, and I think that, yeah, they've, they've, they've got it figured out for sure. Yeah. I mean, even just let's touch base on how they've established themselves there. Uh, we've, you know, this is through the grapevine from Clint Duncan, uh, his dad, Dave Duncan, basically when they were growing up or was dropping his boys off at the head of rivers with rafts saying, go figure this place out and let me know if we can run an outfitter here. And, uh, the upper connect talk or the connect talk system was called the chosen river still is called the chosen river because that they've been running camp there for what? 42 years. Yeah. Something, something like that. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty crazy. And you can see they have a really, really good relationship with the villagers, uh, from Quinnahawk. In fact, we had, uh, one villager and his wife, Adolf, come up and join us for dinner one night, which was really cool. Uh, you know, he came 40 miles upstream to have dinner with the Duncans, yeah. you know, and it's pretty cool, like, even getting back down to the village on our way out, you know, he watched Dan, one of the guides, walk up and purchase something from one of the locals that he had carved for him, and, I mean, you can tell there's just a really good mutual respect for the villagers for them, and, uh, you know, the Duncan program for the villagers and villagers for the Duncan program, which is probably pretty pivotal to their program up there. Totally. So. Yeah, they were, he was, I bought a t-shirt and he was saying that all the proceeds from the t-shirts went to the local school and in the past they had um, sponsored like the music program at the school at Quinnahawk and they had bought like a piano and some horns and like you know and then the next year they sponsored a wrestling team you know and the next year they sponsored you know another athletic team and and it, it, that's really cool to see too I mean they are connected not only with the river but the overall environment and, and those people that live on that river and have lived there for generations are obviously part of of that environment and and they they the duncans have you know connected and adapted instead of vice versa which is amazing to see that's awesome and most outfitters i don't think do that right i mean it's uh they come in and you know other outfitters are coming into a to a, a remote region like that and they'll they'll flash a little money and flex a little bit and say this is what we're doing here's here's who we are and it, it really felt like the duncans had you know their their attention to 
that environment and those in the natives and the tribe and everything else that's there was was pretty special relationship that is not easy and I'm sure has taken a long time to build and they take that very very seriously um, which was which was awesome yeah yeah I mean like we said it's definitely a major part of their program I mean it goes yeah even from top down the the whole family's been there some of their guides have been there for almost 15 years um, just pretty you know it speaks for itself once you're there and you never you know i didn't know what to expect when we were heading up there i always had kind of envisioned you know the perfect alaska trip i had another one in 2016 where i was on the kenai with a good buddy and was just kind of like you know the disneyland of it you see people shoulder to shoulder down the river and like that's not the experience i'm usually after this was just amazing to me it's basically like a fly out lodge except you're camping you got a really comfortable cot with a nice air pad on it. I brought a nightstand so I could watch the movies. You got a propane heater. Uh, and the best part about it is if there is weather, your flight's not canceled. You go straight to the boat. You can go fishing no matter what. You don't really get weathered in. I'm sure in probably some extreme cases you might. But again, as Scott touched on earlier, you could just kind of hang out and camp, um, you know, and tie flies, drink some bourbon, um, do whatever you want if the weather's really that bad. Um, it was great. I mean, the first morning I was a little concerned. We woke up and it was super cold, but we had a propane heater and I promptly flooded Scott out of there with the heat. <laughs> so that was good. I'm pretty good at flooding Scott out of rooms. <laughs> uh, we won't go there. Yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> uh, some people know, but yeah, I was, I mean, I don't think I'd ever want another Alaska experience, you know, and I was talking to Dan, uh, one of the head guides, or the head guy, we fished with him the first day. He's been there 13 years, and I was like talking to the last, and I was like, man, I don't know if I'd ever want to go to the lower camp. He's like, dude, you'd be saying that if you went to the lower camp. He's like, you would, if you were at the lower camp, you would say you wouldn't want to go to the upper camp. And that, you know, speaks for itself. Those guides don't really go in between camps, and, you know, they're co-workers to an extent, but they see each other on Saturdays, and... Yeah, high five each other and yeah i think it's a great operation i think you touch on a good point you know you go to a fly out lodge in alaska and a lot of these are big fancy beautiful lodges that you know they own 10 airplanes and 30 boats and they house you know 20 to 30 people a week and um and and those can be some amazing experiences um but if you're at a fly out lodge and they don't have fishing at the lodge then you got to fly out every single day um, you know, and that at any given point in Alaska, as we all know, weather is a major part of the equation, a major variable. And if the weather sets in for, a, you know, a couple of days and you can't fly, then, you know, what fishing options do you have? And that's a good question to ask if you are considering any lodge in Alaska. And if, especially if it's a fly out lodge, um, you know, that uh, what it, what are the local fishing options from a boat or from a sled or or, or even right in camp? Um, I've been to a couple other lodges in Alaska, and I've specifically chosen um, lodges that are on fishing water just in case that happens. You know, so if you fly out float plane, can't fly out and go to to the to the river that you're intended to go to because the fog settles in you know those guys just can't fly um and you know what is the fishing like right at the lodge or right in camp and in this environment 
you know, and the, the Duncan camps, um, they're on the river. They're right. I mean, like we got there the first night we had dinner, you set up a rod, we went out, you caught a couple dollies before we even got started, yeah. you know? And, uh, so there's literally fishing right at camp. Um, and that, that, that's kind of a big thing. The last thing I want is to spend a bunch of money, get all the way up in Alaska and then get weathered in and, you know, not be able to go fish these fisheries that you've been dreaming about for months so um that was cool yeah that was yeah what else you got on there oh yeah it was a, it was great camp great experience and definitely something that we'd we'd do again yeah i mean i like you said i, I would take anybody there that wants to go i think Probably, I haven't been as many places as you have, obviously, since you're quite a bit older than me. Oh, easy, <laughs> bud. <laughs> Way more experienced. Um, and, yeah, I mean, 5500 for the week and, uh, yeah, what about a thousand bucks airfare? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have Alaska miles or anything like that, you can basically get yourself all the way there. We flew Raven, which is a partner of Alaska, into Quinnahawk, yeah. um, which was great and got some miles for that. But... Uh, then about a thousand dollar tip or so, um, depending on they say, you know, you're up there six days of fishing. That's a cool part too. You don't hand the money at the, over at the end of the day. You just, at the end of the week, you walk up to Clint or Clinster and let's not forget Max his awesome black lab that was up there. <laughs> Great boy. Uh, and give him the tip for the week and he, uh, takes care of his boys and divides it, uh, evenly amongst them. So, uh, yeah, you're looking probably just around 7500 all in depending if you have miles or not and uh to me i'd say it's worth every penny of that yeah. if not more yeah it's a great it's a great trip great experience and i think they're running a, a a top shelf program there for sure um you know i mean we really haven't talked a lot about fishing um but i think that's because it was kind of a no-brainer um I mean, yeah, we, th we threw a lot of mice patterns. We threw quite a bit of flesh. Um, we threw Dalai Lamas, threw some Sculpins, um, you know, but uh, every day that we fished, um, we'd have two or three rods set up per person. And, you know, at any given point, you'd, you'd kind of, you'd, you'd break off and, or whatever, and you'd turn and you'd grab another rod. One of the things up there on the Connect Talk that I really, that was a lot, lot different for us. Um, we didn't indicator fish, but we did a lot of tight line nymphing or, or streamer fishing. Um, there's a lot of root wads in the river and the, and there's, there's not a lot of rocks. Like the rocks were, the biggest rock I saw the whole time was maybe like volleyball size and there was a handful of them. Yeah. Most of it was pea gravel or, or small gravel, ideal spawning conditions for the salmon, obviously. Um, you know, and, a, and a, a lot of the waiting was, was easy. A lot of the walking was easy. Um, you know, but you know, when we'd be fishing around these, this structure and the root wads and things like that, there was always a divot um, in the gravel right in front of the root wad. And so you'd try and hit like maybe 10 or 15 feet in front of the root wad, kind of let your Dalai Lama or your flesh fly or whatever, kind of dead drift down into it to get a little bit of depth. And then you'd kind of jig it or pull it out of there so that it didn't get hung up on that root wad. So the structure, unlike our rivers around here, like the Deschutes or whatever, where you have these big boulders and these big rocks and the, 
average size rock on the Deschutes, as we all know, is that kind of volleyball to beach ball size or whatever. And there was very little of that. Weighting um, was was not not much of a concern. Um, and you know, you did a lot a, a mix of both fishing out of the boat and and walking some of the side channels and stuff like that. But um, you know, again, the guides were spot on and and. Uh, and you know I'd, I'd definitely take some flies and take your equipment just like you would on any trip um, we use six weight seven weight eight weight rods um, I have a pretty stout six weight that I fished most of the time it's a nine and a half foot six weight uh, sage x that I uh, fished with quite a bit I also fish the seven weight nine and a half foot seven weight um, and the nine foot seven weight Winston Alpha Plus, which is Winston's new rod. Um, and then that eight weight badass glass from Echo, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, but uh, I think going up there with kind of your standard steelhead gear, there's no reason for a two handed rod up there, whether it's a switch or a spay or whatever. They're just, <clears throat> if you're in the lower camp, maybe there would be, especially if you were targeting salmon. Um, you know, but in the upper camp, I, I didn't see any reason to have a two-handed rod. Um, you know, a lot of times we were fishing maybe 12 to 20 pound fluorocarbon, um, you know, throwing some pretty big flies and, uh, and getting as close to that structure as you could. And that's where those, a lot of those bigger leopard bows were hanging out. Um, you know, so, but yeah, a lot of fun. Great, great trip, man. I already trying to figure out how to get back up there you know we have been kyle and i have both been in contact with clint about um you know doing a hosted trip up there i don't know if it'll happen you know in 2020 or not but we're definitely looking to get a week up there um and really hosting a flying field group up there and um you know so if you're interested if you're listening to this and you're interested in in a host package um type thing i mean kyle and i will be putting that stuff together and feel free to contact us about that if you're interested in just going up there it is the type of lodge that or camp scenario that i would send anybody to whether you're with a host or not their attention to detail their camp their program is spot on to the point where uh you know there is other locations around the world that i feel a lot more comfortable refer referring our clientele um, as a host group, you know, and putting together like Christmas Island and some different, you know, remote locations like that. This Duncan program, I would feel more than comfortable just sending you up there. Um, so if it's something you're interested in, let us know. Um, if you do some research and you find the Duncans on, on your own, um, just let, a, let them know that you came from Flying Field and that would be appreciated too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Um, yeah, I, mean, I already want to go back secretly. They might take me as a guide next year. Yeah, yeah right. I'm just getting too old for that. You wait, you're lazy, dude. Yeah, I couldn't do. I can hustle, man. I mean, those guides are all my age for the most part, right? In their early 30s or so, maybe late 20s. And man, yeah, Dan, Alec, Toe, or Rob. I mean, that's his real name, but Toe is a way better name for him. Red. <laughs> Yep. Tex. Um, and we didn't get to meet Matt because he had to go home, but I'm sure he is a phenomenal guide as well. Um, yeah, I mean, just a couple last things. What If you had to pick one day or one moment 
to call your favorite out of the whole trip. I know it's hard because there was a lot. You were with me, so it was all great. Yeah. But yeah, what what would it be? Well, if I could change anything, I definitely would go with somebody different. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Less smelly. Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, I think uh, we ha I, don't, I can't do that. I can't. I mean, every day for me was spot on. You know, I mean, the day that I was questioning the most probably was the day that we just shoved off from camp. You know, we got in the boat, didn't even fire up the motor, shoved off from camp and floated down. And that ended up being one of my favorite days, yeah, too, you totally. know. So, um, you know, day one, we did quite a bit of hiking. Day two, we did a lot of hiking, you know. Um, uh, I, you know, to me, the goal for the trip was again to get a big colored up dolly and get some nice rainbows on mice, mice patterns and gosh that happened on day one yeah you know so it was like the rest of the trip for me was all like butter right i mean it was um and you know it, it was fun there was a couple of rainbows that keep haunting me that that um you get you get the big 24 inch plus big fat healthy leopard rainbow those fish know exactly where the structure is and exactly where the root wads are and i landed some nice fish that were in that 19 to 22 inch range but as far as a big bow goes on this trip it eluded me i hooked them i had shots at them um and they just outsmarted me you know um so going back i i i i would def that would be on my radar and and that would be a target of mine um but i really enjoyed those those dollies i mean everyone you put them in hand in your hand and it was just they were so beautiful and uh you know something that i hadn't experienced before you know holding a fish that was that colored and that dramatic um and uh i really appreciated that part of the trip i'd say yeah that yeah that first day man it was like quite eye-opening i mean the first two trout you hooked were toads yeah like, they were big <laughs> they were real big real big and you're like wow this is alaska you know the only thing that was kind of strange to me was we saw one bear on the first yeah. day you know and uh we were told that was because uh, the village, uh, a lot of them go down there. It's a big seal oil processing village, so it attracts the bears pretty easy. But man, some of the days we were hiking, you know, we were just corners away from bear. Yeah. Like there's signs of them and everything. I'd say my favorite day was with, uh, well, yeah, it's hard. Some of my favorite moments were definitely, you know, when, uh, when I stuck my fly in the tree and Red came to help and tree tuck Red's hat and I ran down tr stream almost fell about four times into the river, almost saved his hat, and then uh, didn't save it, but Red went to reach for it in a root wad and actually dead, <laughs> grabbed a dead salmon. So. Yeah, he thought it was his hat. He saw it in the root wad, put his hand down there, and it was like a rotten, dead, fleshy salmon. <laughs> That's a salmon. <laughs> yeah, needless to say he lost his hat, but yeah, yeah I mean, that was, that, we could talk forever about each moment because there's a lot that stick out to me but I just want to say a big thanks to Clint Duncan uh, for having us up there it was an amazing experience definitely unforgettable um, and yeah your whole crew was awesome everyone from Dan Link Toe loved them all Bryce left him out earlier he was great um, all awesome dudes so way to run a great program man and make us want to miss it from the second we left so yeah thanks for that yeah <laughs> we're still mad at you about uh, that yeah <laughs>
No, good, good program all the way through. And like I said, from a somebody who's been in the industry for a long time, I actually left with some things to think about with some of our own programs, you know, of things that we could do better and things that we could do different. And that's the reason why we do this stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm never content with the way that, that our business, that my business is. And, and uh, whenever I leave another outfitter um, and go, okay, I got some stuff I want to work on, that's a definite compliment to the outfitter because we run a pretty tight ship around here. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was great trip. And like I said, just can't wait to get back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. Thank you for tuning into the Flying Field Outfitters podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay tuned for new episodes coming out. If you have a request for a podcast, please reach out to Kyle at flyingfield.com. Thanks again for tuning in and have a nice day. We'll see you on the water.